One of the things that we knew we wanted our organisation to be different on is we wanted to say we're as much for people who have lost a baby yesterday as people who have lost 70 years ago. And so that opened up this huge chasm of how many people we could actually be offering our support to because there were so many people that were approaching us saying, I'm still in as much agony today as it was 20 years ago, and I don't feel like an access support because I feel almost fraudulent reaching out for that support when somebody may have lost their baby today and be in absolute desperate need. Whilst I've almost learned to navigate it, but I'm still living with that pain. So as soon as we opened up the organisation to this huge body of people, we knew we would have a lot of people knocking on our door. That was our guest Zoe Clark's Coates, founder of Saying Goodbye, who Kate and I went to talk to just before Christmas. We've been holding on to this one for some time. We wanted it to go into a certain place as part of our miscarriage series, which is what we've been sharing with you over the past few weeks if you've been listening in real time. And we saw Zoe just after she'd been on the Lorraine show, which if you're listening outside the UK, Lorraine is a TV show that goes out in the morning and extremely popular. And Zoe was just talking about how great it was to be able to have this conversation on, on mainstream TV. Before we hear the full episode with Zoe, we wanted to talk about something that you can do at home. Kate, do you think that whilst people are in lockdown, they'll be brave enough to do more things like home testing? I think being in lockdown is an ideal time to do more home testing because when you're in lockdown, you're kind of in limbo. You don't really have the opportunity to do very much, but actually what you can do with home testing is find out so much about your fertility and whether you need to start making some changes to lifestyle. And that's why we're really chuffed to have Medichex sponsoring the Fertility Podcast. Because whether you're trying to get healthy before getting pregnant or investigating why you've not been getting pregnant, Medichex has a range of simple home blood tests developed with Kate to help you. Visit Medichex.com to find out more. This series from the Fertility Podcast is talking about miscarriage. With staggering numbers of people affected daily by this, there's still a silence around it, feelings of shame. Along with the grief, there is the physical impact of loss, and we wanted to explore this further over the coming weeks, with a number of conversations from experts, as well as people who have been through it. Unfortunately, there are so many reasons why miscarriage happens. Whether it be genetic or placenta problems, infection or long-term health conditions you may suffer from, or sometimes we just don't know. We hope that by talking about it in this way, you will know that there is support and guidance available for you from groups, experts and organisations. To find out more about the support available, visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash miscarriage, where there will be listings to the range of organisations available, as well as all of these episodes. So here's Zoe now telling us what it was like being on Lorraine's show. She's so lovely and it's just such a great opportunity to reach the masses talking about a subject that's often avoided. And that's why we love doing any sort of TV, just because it's easy to reach the people who know they need support but the people you want to reach are the people who one don't know support is available or two those who are so trapped in grief they don't know where to turn so tv shows such as Lorraine or this morning are just great vehicles to reach people and and we're talking kind of December time we're not going to be sharing the podcast till till the new year but grief is something that we have to deal with there's there's no kind of time relevance with grief It, it sadly is around us all year long isn't it it is the only 
issue for many with Christmas time is it exacerbates those feelings of loneliness and isolation because any sort of occasions that everyone else is celebrating just magnifies your feelings of I'm the only person in the world who's heartbroken and alone and sad and that's why Christmas is such a hard time but that flows through to Easter and all other occasions as well where the rest of the world are celebrating or joining together and yet you feel shit away in your own pain. And on that note, so especially this time of year when we're looking towards Christmas, I wanted to ask you about faith because a little bit of stalking that I've done on you, <laughs> I think, and t- please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you do have a faith. And I wanted to ask you whether you felt that your faith was being tested during your baby losses over time. Yeah, good question. And yeah, I do have a faith. And I'm not really blatant about that, especially in conversations. For sure, my faith helped carry me through my grief and my losses. And it didn't ever challenge it. It actually made my faith stronger. It made me feel even more understood and supported. And part of that is not only because of my relationship with God, um, but also with my friends who have got faith, just being really great at supporting me and my church family. You talk so openly about your own experiences and you do such tremendous work helping people. And we were just talking about how you've already released three books and there's another at least three in the pipeline. When we talk about miscarriage, the numbers are just astounding. I mean, one of the stats, I've got half a million people affected, I think, in the UK alone. The daily numbers that we know of of people experiencing baby loss being like 700 a day. And it's just never ending the need for the support that you're providing. How are you finding this constant, not growth, but we want the awareness, but it just means that what then your job becomes is is constantly more demanding yeah well as soon as we launched it was kind of a big organization from day one because within weeks our website was having over 650,000 hits a month on our website so we realized the scale of the issue was so much bigger than we could have ever comprehended and we knew the stats on loss we knew 258,000 babies were lost every year in the UK that's recorded losses and we knew in America it was a million every year However, we didn't know how many of those would actually need support, who would be looking for it. And one of the things that we knew we wanted our organisation to be different on is we wanted to say we're as much for people who have lost a baby yesterday as people who have lost 70 years ago. And so that opened up this huge chasm of how many people we could actually be offering our support to because there were so many people that were approaching us saying, I'm still in as much agony today as it was 20 years ago, and I don't feel I can access support because I feel almost fraudulent reaching out for that support when somebody may have lost their baby today and be in absolute desperate need. Whilst I've almost learned to navigate it, but I'm still living with that pain. So as soon as we opened up the organisation to this huge body of people, we knew we would have a lot of people knocking on our door. So we built the organisation to accommodate that and to say however many people the team would be able to help them so every support structure we've set up it's with that in mind the fact that you have no clue how many people are going to ask for support today over I guess 20 years ago when I first started my nursing career I worked on a number of gynae units and so I was working with a lot of women who were experiencing 
early pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. I look back now and I think how woefully inadequate the care that I was able to give really was, I guess because we were busy, we had lots of different types of patients. You know, you might have a woman who was uh, ovarian cancer in one bed, a lady experiencing pregnancy loss in the next, and in the third bed you might have somebody coming in for termination of pregnancy. So it was so difficult to give the care that we needed very individually, particularly around baby loss. I remember kind of talking to a woman after a miscarriage and, you know, giving a leaflet. And, OK, that, that, leaf, that leaflet had the information about the miscarriage association on it. But that was all we had. I think, certainly then, um, the NHS care was woefully inadequate. Is it changing within the NHS? Are things changing so that the experienced women is going to get better when at that, that point where they really need that care? It's definitely changing. And I, I hope part of that is because of the work of our charity, the, the Mariposa Trust, which most people know by our primary division as saying goodbye, which is how I'll refer to it during this chat. Because saying goodbye has been campaigning for so many years for change. And as you may know, I'm one of the co-chairs on behalf of the government to advise on changes to do with loss. And so part of that role has been going into hospitals and shadowing staff on guiding wards and in A and E and, um, and midwifery wards, etc., to see where we can make changes, where we can stop some of the trauma. Because so many people were saying, I can almost recover from the loss of my baby. But what I can't ever accept is how I was treated during that loss. And it, if you feel shame, resentment, bitterness to, to do with your care, shame is one of the big things that locks in grief. And so if you're made to feel bad for grieving by medical practitioners, then you then don't feel you should move forward in the grieving process and so you become locked and trapped. And so that's why it's so important, that initial care, in the language that's used, in terminology, and giving people full permission to process their pain. When um, we lost our second little girl, we were rushed to Amy. And I'll never forget the nurse that looked after me who said, Zoe, can I just ask you why you're so upset? Is it because you've paid for the baby and it's an IVF child? And I was like, oh, oh, am I not meant to grieve then? And so instantly my permission to be mourning for this child that I thought I was losing was removed from me. And I felt guilt. I felt, I felt like she was telling me I was, you know, overreacting. And that really lived with me for a long time. And she didn't mean to cause me harm. She was just busy in A&E and she didn't understand loss. She didn't understand what it meant to a mother to be losing a child. But it's words like that that can be said so flippantly and uncaringly that can haunt people for years to come, which is why, as you say, that on-the-spot care is so vital. But it's definitely changing. It's definitely getting better. I think... Prior to now, we've very much focused on getting the training better for midwives on labour and delivery, where actually a lot of loss never makes it onto those wards. It is happening in A&E. Over 80% of loss doesn't even make it into a hospital setting. So then it's GPs and nurses and there's practitioners in surgeries that are actually looking after people. So... We've got to better the care, not only in the hospital setting, also in the community. And that's part of the government review work that I'm doing. It's 
who actually comes into contact with people who encounter loss? How do we train them better? How do we change the language they're using? How do we become patient-led so they tell us the language that they want to use around our loss? And that the medical care practitioners then lead with those words and that language. If somebody wants their early loss to be referred to as a baby, which in my view it is, then that's what it should be termed as. However, if they don't want it to be termed like that, if that causes more pain for them, then it should be termed very much in a medical way, but it should very much be patient-led, and that's what we're trying to advocate. Do you think part of the problem as to, to this whole taboo subject around miscarriage is because it's ingrained in our psyche that we don't tell anybody until we've reached the 12-week point, that yeah. almost it doesn't give people permission to have that grief because it's almost almost in, in everyone's mind that actually it's not a baby until you've passed that 12 weeks and we know clearly it is mm-hmm. but it's it's that not being able to talk not being able to tell your family or feeling that you can't mm-hmm. tell your family do you think absolutely. that's part of the problem absolutely and that's definitely part of the culture surrounding miscarriage is because it's not even a subtle rule People actually say, don't tell anybody you're pregnant till after 12 weeks in case you go on to lose. So they actually tell you that. It's not even just silently thought. It's actually communicated. But that's just part of the issue. I think around the miscarriage conversation, we are are often hinging it all onto that. And people think, well, you get rid of that, then all of the issues are sorted. But actually, that's just so part of the problem. The big issue is British culture in the fact of not wanting to talk about death at all because it certainly isn't only restricted to miscarriage, it's stillbirth, all infant loss and all loss. People aren't comfortable talking about death and dying. Mm. And until we change that, even if we get rid of the 12-week rule, rule, we're not going to make much of a headway because we're scared of saying the wrong thing. We're scared of getting too close in case it happens to us. And we've got to change that. That is how we change the whole culture surrounding baby and child loss. And whilst we're talking on that, I know that you've been working, you talked about the work you're doing with the government on this national loss certificate. Where are we at with that? And do you want to explain a bit about what that is and what it's going to mean? So the national loss certificate is actually separate to the government work. Right. It's something that we launched as a charity years ago, campaigning for a new national loss certificate to come in. And that's going through the House of Lords. So that was already happening when I was then recruited by the health secretary to take on the co-chair of the work. And Jeremy Hunt, who was then health secretary, had heard about the um, loss certificate and so said the fact that that could be part of the review as well. So actually, I'm working on it on two very different angles, one for the government as part of the review and then separately as our campaign work for the House of Lords. So I don't know which will bring it in first, but I'm really confident we can make it happen in some way because it's something all parents say that they want even if they won't want to access it themselves they want to see it available because we're passionate about bringing it in for people who are losing their babies today but also to have it backdated so people who have had a historic loss will be able to get it but we're also passionate that it shouldn't be compulsory the fact that it should be optional to parents because for some it would help with their pain for others it wouldn't And so I don't think we need anything else that adds to anybody's pain. So that's why it needs to be optional. Can you explain a little bit about the kind of 24 weeks being 
when you can register and, yeah. and how ridiculous, in a way, yeah. that is. And it is ridiculous for many people, but I understand why it is. It's partially connected in England, it isn't in other countries, to abortion and the fact that you can abort up to 24 weeks legally. And so if you made it compulsory to register any baby after, let's say, 12 weeks, then you'd be forced to register babies that are aborted. So it would stop being a process that people could do without anybody almost knowing about because it would always be traceable. So how we get through that is down to legislators to work through, but it is connected. In other countries, they've somehow got around separating the two, but it all comes down to legal legislation. But in England, you aren't given any sort of certificate unless your baby is over 24 weeks, unless your baby is born breathing or with signs of life. And if that happens, then you are given a full birth certificate and then a death certificate because your baby has lived. However, if your baby doesn't make any sound or doesn't breathe, even at 23 weeks and six days, it's as though they never existed at all. And you've mentioned before about twins. Yeah, the big issue we're encountering more and more is the fact of twin losses. Because if a mother delivers babies at even 22 weeks and one of them is born without any signs of life, they aren't given any recognition. However, if the one twin is born breathing, they get a birth and death certificate. And so then you're burying your twins, but not as twins. There is just a single child. And for many people, this is causing them huge, huge emotional conflict. And they beg the authorities, please don't make me register the one child when they were created together, grew together. They're going to be buried together please don't make one of them be registered and one not, but it's the law. You have to register if the signs of life and um, with one child. But for parents, that's horrible. It's Their family tree will forever show one child and not two. How do you even cope with that emotionally? And we're encountering that more and more as a society because babies are being born really at a younger gestation with signs of life. I only heard yesterday of a baby that was born at... 14 weeks and live for a few hours that I mean 14 Mm. weeks is a very early gestation Mm. and so this is going to become more and more of an issue in society the earlier babies are surviving yeah so I'm glad that's not something I have to look at from a legal perspective my main job is campaigning for change and campaigning for better support and then offering great support to all those who need it but we have to look at what's causing further emotional distress and saying is there a way around this is there a way of bettering it and for most parents they'll say recognition wouldn't remove the pain of the loss of losing my child but it means something Mm. it means that they existed outside of our world and I think we can do that as a society and I think we can do it easily so we should be doing it. And having looked at your website and seen all the amazing support aspects that you've got on the website, and I was reading about remembrance services, mm-hmm. and actually it really got me when, but I think, I don't know whether I was watching a video of you and you, I think you were talking about the bell ringing. I knew you were going to say bell. <laughs> it's oh, always the bell yeah. that gets oh, everyone. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I want I, to hear it because it sounds remarkable. I mean, that must just be 
such an incredibly emotional time yeah. for women and men. And men. And, 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 and men. everything we do is for men and women. Yeah. Often people think this is a women's issue. But out of all the numbers yeah. we support, around 30% are men. And so much of the campaigning work is around men as well because men are often forgotten and not recognised in the loss. And Yeah, so, and it's, finally, it's nearly always the men that break with the bells, Mm. because when they're ringing that bell, the bell represents the baby's sound that has been lost, and for many, they've never heard their baby make a noise, and often, as the man rings it, that's the time they usually will start crying and saying, that's the first time I've almost been connected to that child in almost a physical sense because they haven't carried the child but suddenly they're responsible for making that sound that represents their baby it's really powerful and the bells get passed down the rows at all the cathedrals and they we've got lots of bells and so they're passing all around and at the same time either the choir or a beautiful piece of music is being played and so all you hear is chimes all over the cathedral ringing out all different tones and you know every single one of them represents a baby Mm. it's so beautiful but also you get to see the quantity of loss some people go through I remember this one family all huddled together with their children ringing that bell about 12 or 13 times with those children that they've lost and and their children ringing the bells they were ringing the bells and it's so beautiful and it's so healing for people because it's a hidden grief often for many, but suddenly they're able to do something that is audible to those around them. And it's just so unbelievably touching. Women's Hour actually came and recorded our first ever service. And if you go on to the websites, they've always kept it available. You we'll can hear link. it, yeah. yeah and you I can hear during the interview, you start hearing bells, and people think it's a sound effect, but actually they're the bells that were being rung at the cathedral. Oh, gosh, yeah, we'll definitely put a link. Um, whilst we're talking about men, because you're in business with your husband, yeah. you talked about how he's your soulmate, and we were talking about how you worked together previously. And your background as a trained counsellor, I know, has set you up almost to deal with all of this in the in the best way it could. And I'm just interested in how he's managed, because you're both living and breathing this topic day to day. And I'm always interested in the kind of self-protection element, because I find working in this space from the fertility point of view that there are triggers. And I know that you have the tools from your counselling background. And I wondered if that was the same for Andy or whether there's still an element that he might struggle with more so than you with your training no absolutely he's definitely on the same page as me and he's had training over the years himself so we're both coming from the same background in that nothing actually triggers us anymore at all and I don't think we could be running the organization if anything did Mm. for our own mental health and um, emotional well-being and we would definitely got to a place that we felt that we could talk about anything help anybody before we launched it so everyone always asks me that do you get triggered by things does anything make you break and and no it doesn't and and that is definitely where my training comes in so powerfully for me really and for Andy and the fact that when we're helping others we can't carry their bags for them. All we can do is walk alongside them while they're carrying their bags. And 
that's what training helps you do. And if you don't have that and you try and take people's bags and say, come on, I'm going to carry your bags. And then suddenly you get emotionally burnt out. But I'm not equipped to carry what they've gone through. They are. That's their journey. I'm only equipped to carry my bags, but I can definitely walk with them while I carry theirs. And so that really helps. And that's probably one of the big benefits of being trained, actually, is the ability to do that for sure. Because so many of the other skills that I use every single day, yeah, of course, some of it comes from training, but so much more of it comes from personal experience. But one of the big benefits of being trained is definitely not jumping in and carrying other people's emotional trauma. Whilst we're talking about that kind of the the partnership aspect, the the stats around relationships breaking down as a result of this are are high, 70% that I suppose, again, we know of. And I'm just, I suppose, interested in whether is that, that's a whole other element, that's marriage counselling or relationship counselling, is that another aspect of the work that saying goodbye is now having to manage or signpost people as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, marriage counselling is fundamentally part of baby loss support because, as you say, around 70% of relationships will break down. And it's just one of those dominoes that falls. I always say baby loss is not an individual thing anybody will encounter. There will always be a knock-on effect. And people often don't even look at all the things that are connected to their loss until maybe they're in therapy. And then they go, actually, that's when this went wrong. Oh my goodness, and that's when my career completely changed because it changed my focus. And and all of these different areas are affected and relationships breaking down is one of the big, big issues for a lot of people who encounter loss. And we even see it with our team, the fact that there's a lot of team members who have lost their relationships over the years. And that's because people grieve at different rates. Resentment can build up if you feel like you're the only party grieving. But also you've got to remember a lot of people have children as a next stepping stone and they think it's going to help make their relationship stronger if possibly they've got marriage or relationship problems already. And so if you then encounter loss, of course, it's going to be the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. And so... That's why I'm a big advocate of waiting to have children until you are really, really strong as a couple and think whatever, I could survive it. Because having children is never going to be glue for people. It's usually the thing that pushes people apart. So you've got to have that real foundational start. And that's exactly the same with fertility treatment as well. It's these things that test your relationship. And you've got to make sure the foundational bricks are in place before you can build on from your family and extend it and when people are in this kind of downward spiral of despair with the grief and not able to function and we know about the impact on mental health are they capable of asking for that help with regards to their relationship if they're trying to navigate their way to get support for their grief anyway or is that something that as an organization you kind of have to spell out that this is probably going to have an impact as well on xyz yeah, people are usually quite upfront with how and what they need because the filters are often come off and so it all comes spilling out all in one go. Everything's going wrong is usually the thing we hear because life feels like it's imploded because it has actually imploded. And so 
Yeah, they're usually up front. Where we see a difference between men and women is that women usually come when they're not in crisis necessarily. So they'll always reach out for support quickly. If a man contacts us, it's nearly always because they're at crisis point. Now, one of the other things I want to just talk a bit about is the different places that you can now be to, to raise awareness of what you do. In the UK, we've we've had Fertility Fest over the last couple of years, which has been an amazing platform, kind of bringing that creative aspect into this trying to conceive space. And we've obviously had a massive growth of social media over the years, and particularly now Instagram, which we talk about a lot as being such a prominent part of the TTC community. And I see you on your stories all the time, kind of answering questions and often directing people to, to, to your book. And I just wondered how that kind of felt in the sense of you're now on 24-7 and you probably were before, but it's kind of heightened now with things like Insta stories yeah. because there's a slight addiction from you yourself wanting to, but then there's obviously the, the questions coming in because you, you want to try and help as many people. Yeah as you can, don't you? Yeah, for us, social media is just a really great avenue to reach people because when you're going through grief, you often shut yourself away from the physical world. And so if you want to actually connect with people, social media is the ideal form because they don't need to talk back. They can just listen and they can just watch. So for anybody who's grieving, social media is just such a safe haven my big message is to people that you can move forward with hope and joy and happiness and experience all of that and hold on to the memory because you take your loved one with you on but they would want you to be happy and find joy so my big message is helping people find that hope again because that's what I needed and for me I felt exactly like a lot of people do where if I saw people who were hurting so badly so many years after I felt myself that there wasn't much hope and I didn't need that I needed to have lighthouses in the distance showing me there was hope and a future and so that's what I strive to be for other people and everything we do as an organisation and everything I write is about acknowledging the pain it's about giving language to grief but it's then also saying even while you're feeling that there is hope there is life again that is possible and it is obtainable to all who want it but that's the big thing do you want it and some they do others they don't and that's absolutely fine but for those that do we just need to help them in some way navigate that and give them a steering map and social media is such a great platform to do that. And one of the things that you talk about is finding the beauty in what you had mm -hmm. and that moment that you were able to hold your baby if, if you were. Mm -hmm. And I think that allowing yourself to think about that beauty, as you advise, is so important because people might only think that they have to be so sad and down yeah. about it all. Uh, yeah, and for me, there's a a great secret to life and that's finding the gratitude and good in absolutely everything and how is there something to even be thankful for when you've lost your five children and you didn't get to hold them and for me the gratitude was that I love being pregnant with them I love the fact that they existed I love the fact that I'm their mother and will always be their mother and it's finding the gratitude in that that really helps you navigate some of the pain but it's also so hard for a lot of people to find 
that gratitude and it takes time and it takes working through grief and they shouldn't feel guilty if they can't do that. Can I ask you what you say when people ask you how many children you have? Yeah, I, I will always say the fact that five that aren't with me and two with me. And do people find that hard to deal with if they don't know what you do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they find it hard even if they know what I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, again, you're making people talk about death and they don't want to talk mm. about death. So you'll always get a reaction and you'll always end up rescuing those you've said, going, it's okay, it's okay. And you've got to ensure you feel strong enough and equipped enough to be able to do that. Otherwise, every situation is going to end up being quite traumatic. And it took me a while to navigate it. Mm. And I always gave my permission, self-permission to say whatever I wanted to say. I never felt if I just said two that I didn't ever feel guilty. Like I was denying the five children that had died because I knew when somebody said to me, how many children have you got? What they're actually questioning is how many children live in your house? How mm. many children are you raising? Mm. And so if I only said two, I wasn't denying or, or anything because I knew what the root of the question was. However, I now see it as an opportunity to open up the subject and to educate those around me and... It doesn't bother me at all what reaction I get given. I usually get a gasp mm. from people. And it takes a while to learn to live with the fact that your story generates that reaction. Whilst you're talking about rescuing people, I listened on the way here to your Griefcast interview with Carrie Ad Lloyd, which I'll put a link to in this podcast. But for Kate, I'd mentioned to her about the royal funeral story that you told. Yeah. And I didn't tell her what it was. And I wondered if you'd just tell it to Kate yeah. now because I was making the noise, the same noise that Carrie had yeah. made and I'm just, the, the, the same noise that I think Kate will make too. So yeah. if you wouldn't mind indulging. Yeah, so just after we'd lost our little girl Darcy, we hadn't entered the world at all since the loss. We'd been very much reclusive because it was so near to her death. And then a really close friend's husband died and so we were like, what do we do? We're going to have to go to the funeral. There's nowhere we can't. And they're connected to royalty. It was a really highbrow event. And we were so close to them. And this lady has only got sons. She hadn't got a daughter. She very much treated me like her daughter. And so at the wake, after the funeral, she wanted to take me around the room, introducing me to everybody who had attended her husband's funeral. And was just like, this is Zoe, I want you to meet her. And... And obviously I was completely emotionally vulnerable at the time, my first venture out of the house, so to speak. Then somebody asked me really loudly, oh, so have you got children, Zoe? And that was the first time I'd been asked the question. And this was our second loss, but we'd never really acknowledged the first loss until we'd lost our second. And I quietly said, well, I have, but we've just lost her. And um, they didn't hear that. They just heard, yes, I have. <laughs> just had a daughter so they screamed congratulations oh, no. you had a daughter that's so amazing which made the whole room stop everybody in the room started going congratulations oh. congratulations from everywhere around the room and then I had to just stand there and go she died oh <laughs> at our friend's husband's funeral it was awful oh. and it was awful not only because I was having to navigate that, I was then having to look after absolutely everybody in the room. So then I had to go around everybody going, it's okay, it's, okay. it's fine, don't worry. 
Don't worry that you said congratulations. It's going, it's going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to survive it. It's okay. The whole time worrying because it was the funeral of somebody and all attention should have been on him. So it was just oh, bad no. from no. every single angle. <laughs> but yeah, that was the peril of being brutally honest, <laughs> but with somebody who was clearly hard of hearing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's amazing that you can look back and actually find humour in oh that Oh my goodness, now. absolutely. <laughs> There's humour in everything. Humour helps me navigate every single situation and I've always been able to see the funny side of absolutely everything. That's the way to live life. Isn't it? Isn't it? If you can't laugh, I mean, you've got a big problem. It's how I navigated the dark days of grief. I put on all stand-up comedy. I'd find anything that would make me smile. Mm. That's what forced me to not only survive again, but also to show me that I didn't need to feel guilty for feeling happiness again. So before we say goodbye, sorry for the pun, um, I just want to talk about the books because, again, I see you on Instagram going, I'm really sorry, Amazon's out of stock again. So saying goodbye was the first. Yeah. And then the Baby Loss Guide. And within these books, there are these practical, like, day-by-day guides to almost give you a workbook of something to do when you are feeling so lost, isn't there? Yeah, so both of those are very much focused on baby loss or child loss. So saying goodbye, the first half is our story and the journey of setting up the charity. And then it's got 90 days of support sections to work through. Then the baby loss guide is very much more a practical guide. How to navigate social media? How do you find joy again? How do you even find the courage to try again? So loads of practical chapters around subjects that I get asked about hundreds of times a week and then it's got 60 days of support and journaling so that's applicable whether you've just gone through loss or lost 20 years ago just to help you process that grief and you can keep redoing those 60 days and every time you do it you'll have moved forward within your grief. And so Beyond Goodbye is a broader approach to grief for you whoever you've lost. Absolutely. So it's a general grief book, whether you've lost a spouse, your grandparents, your parents, a child as well is included in that, aunts, uncles. It deals with um, the grief of losing friends. And it's got all the same sort of practical topics in, just like the Baby Loss Guide has, how to re-engage with life again, how to return to work when you're grieving how to survive after the funeral. So it's got all of those. And then it's got, again, 60 days of support. And both Beyond Goodbye and The Baby Loss Guide are for friends and family as well to help you know what to say or do or not to say or do. They're also used in general training manuals by the NHS and beyond as well to help staff understand what their patients might be going through because my mum is a bereavement counsellor and I see firsthand because she tells me how she's got like little whatsapp groups that she's set up with some of the people that she's worked with and she'll read me some of the messages that they've said when they've met up with one another and telling her how much it's helped and so that enabling that you are doing to encourage people to find peer support almost with people that totally get especially if it's like a widow who might have just isolated herself off and then is refound a social life you know yeah. the different examples that sometimes we don't even think about do we absolutely and I think the horrible thing about grief is you feel like you're the only person in the world mm-hmm. going through it and just to hear other stories that resonate with you and to see how they've survived it and to see how they found life again after their loss 
things that you really need to hear because it's so incomprehensible that you're going to survive it. I remember laying on the bathroom floor, screaming and crying and going, no, can't live through this, can't make it through, can't survive till tomorrow. And what I would have done for somebody to have stood there and said, you're going to survive it, you're going to survive it, and here, read other stories of people who have navigated it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I write, that's why I put a language to grief in my books where people don't know how to communicate what they're going through because it's one of those things we're just not taught. We're taught how to express joy as children Mm -hmm. and happiness, but we're just not taught how to express pain or loss or grief because even as children, we kept away from those situations we don't let children often go to funerals it's not a place for children and so we just don't have any of these core fundamentals of life of how to deal with these things until we encounter it and then suddenly it's like we're pushed into this dark forest and then told right try and get out of it and all we need is somebody to go here is a map It's not going to give you clear directions, but it's going to give you lots of routes out of this forest. You pick which one you want to go on. And if you want to just stay put for a while, that's absolutely fine. But you're going to get to a point where you want to try and get out, where you want at least a little light to come through, where you're going to need the trees to be a bit thinner. And that's what I hope my books do in the fact that they can't rescue anybody from pain. And I would never try and sell them as doing that. What I do say is there a life raft when you feel like you're drowning and I hope they'll give you something to hold on to. And if that literal idea of holding a book isn't ideal, we were geeking out, I was geeking out a bit before talking with you about the audio book that yeah. you've done. Is that for the for saying goodbye? Yeah, the baby I, haven't done, I haven't done um, Beyond Goodbye yet. So that's for the baby loss guide. So, yeah, that's an audio book as well. And that was such a joy to record because, yes, it's a difficult subject for many, but it was just such a privilege because to know people are going to be listening to Mm. that at their moment of need, where some people don't feel they've got even the strength to pick up a book. That feels too daunting in those initial dark days of grief. So to know that they can just access an audio book and then hear it being spoken into their ears or when they're on the daily commute that they can listen to it without people seeing what they're listening to. It's such a great tool and it was a real joy to do because it just felt like I was being allowed into people's rooms and I was going to be able to talk to them in that moment of need. And again, it's something I'd have loved to have heard. So it was an honour to do for others. She got the bug wearing the cans in front of the mic. Well, Zoe, what we've done and what our listeners have been able to enjoy is kind of getting to know a little bit about saying goodbye, a little bit about the Mariposa Trust and obviously a little bit about you. But we just want to find out a little bit more about you. So tell us something about you that not many other people know about. Oh, like an interesting fact. Yeah, yeah party piece. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, wow. <laughs> There's so many things I could say here. (laughs) One of those things is that when I was a child, I climbed up onto a bed with a pencil in my mouth and banged my head and swallowed a pencil. And it never came out. (laughs) (laughs) So many will say that's why I'm a writer today. Absolutely. (laughs) How 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 does a pencil... Leave your body if it never comes out? Has a doctor tried to explain it? They just told my mum 
and dad when I was in hospital that it would generally absorb mm. or it stayed put and it would just stay there. The initial danger period is while well, it's passing through in case it perforates something. Absolutely. But after it's settled and you've survived that initial amount of time, you're all good. Yeah, so there you go. There's an interesting fact. That's a really interesting fact. If you need support, head to sayinggoodbye.org and find Zoe on Instagram at Zoe Adele. We know there's probably going to be a lot of information here that has got you thinking, so be sure to visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash miscarriage, where we will be listing links to all the different organisations we're mentioning, as well as the different episodes within this series. And of course, you can follow us online. I'm at Fertility Poddy. And I'm at Your Fertility Journey. And just remember, we're here. You're so not alone. If this episode has been helpful to you in any way, please do rate, review, subscribe and share so we can keep the momentum going and help other people find out this podcast and hopefully help them like it's helped you. Thank you. Until the next time.